Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. It's Friday the 17th of May. Coming up, Kent Mum to meet Health Minister over cystic fibrosis drug campaign. I do work. I have a little boy. I have a husband. I have a family. And I want to be around for, for years to come. Student opens up about living with psychosis. I just find myself just having like these very sped up thoughts, almost as if like you kind of lose control of your own thinking. And we catch up with James Arthur as he releases his new single. The last album I did um, was quite autobiographical, a little bit self-indulgent. And, and uh, of course, with that came a lot of discussion about my own life. Kent Online News. First today, we're hearing from a Kent mum who was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was a young girl and is now due to meet the health secretary as she campaigns for what could be a life-changing drug. CF is where a sticky mucus clogs the lungs and can also affect the digestive system and other organs. Or Canby is widely available across the US and Europe, but currently not in the UK. Now, it costs around £105,000 per person per year. Carly Pleasant from Sittingbourne says having it on the NHS would make a massive difference. She'd been telling us her story. I was diagnosed with CF at the age of nine. Um, it was around three days before my 10th birthday. So it was... Um, yeah, it was about two days before Christmas, Christmas Day, and I'd been unwell for, well, for many years before that, pretty much since I was born. Um, so that day was kind of bittersweet because it was a day that I started to feel better because I was started on immediate medication. But obviously the diagnosis is a scary one to hear. What did they tell you at the time? They mainly spoke to my parents, um, but I remember sitting in um, the local hospital down here, so that was All Saints at the time, and they said that um, the test results have come back from King's College Hospital, and um, really sorry, but yes, she's got cystic fibrosis. Um, I don't really remember much about it I just remember uh, my mum kind of crying and my dad asking where we go from here and that's when the doctor turned around and said um, life expectancy for this condition is 15 and then my mum passed out so then (laughs) obviously I was a nine-year-old little girl and I just wanted wanted my mum to to be okay so that's all I really remember. I mean, that's an absolutely awful thing to, to have to go through and to see your parents go through as well. I mean, yeah. uh, thankfully, you have, you know, you have well out, outlived that. But what, what, it, what is it like living with CF? Can you just describe how it affects you? Um, yes, yeah, so on a day-to-day basis, um, kind of behind closed doors, there's a lots of physio that's involved, um, breathing apparatus, nebulizers just to kind of keep my lungs and my chest healthy. Um, But as it affects the whole body, there's medication for almost every part. So I take um, enzymes every time I eat and drink as my pancreas doesn't work. Um, And that uh, the tablets that I take all depend on how much fat is in my food. So I can take anything from, you know, two or three enzymes, but with an evening meal, I'm taking 15. Um, so I take roughly 40 creon a day just so I can eat and drink. Um, I take vitamins. I take supplements to try and ensure that I'm putting on the correct weight because I really struggle with, with gaining weight. Um, and I have, to, I have to consume kind of double the amount of man's calories a day, which sounds amazing, but it's honestly really, really difficult. 
Um, and then I, I have to take salt tablets to ensure that because my, my salt is kind of, it doesn't travel around the body in the way that usual people's does. So that makes me quite, quite lightheaded in summer. I can faint. And, um, and yeah, that's just all on a day-to-day -day basis. And obviously as well as the coughing and describing to, having to describe to strangers as to why you've always got a constant cough. Now there is this potentially life-changing drug. We've heard of it before actually. We've spoken to um, a mum of a little boy who's, who's trying to get hold of it called Orcambi. Can you tell us about that drug and why you would like to have it? Yep, so Orcambi has been licensed um, for three years now. Um, it's developed by a drug company called Vertex. And it is the first drug in cystic fibrosis that will um, attack the cause of CF and not just our symptoms. And that's really important because although it's not a cure, it is the first time that something has been able to almost put a halt on our CF rather than just every day maintaining, maintaining a stable kind of balance. Um, so... Results show that it can improve our lung function and it will improve um, our hospital stays and cut them right down, which is really important um, because when I say hospital stay, I don't just mean kind of you go in and, and you're in and out within a few hours. I've literally just yesterday finished a three-week intravenous course of antibiotics, um, all because I caught a cold. And so there, I think that is the main the main point for Orcambi, it will be able to stop things like that from happening. But Orcambi currently is not available on the NHS, is that correct? Yeah, it's it's very expensive. So, of course, we all understand that um, negotiations have to take place. It's 105000 per patient per year. Um, but, yes, it, the talks have been stalled. So, And that's been for three years. And... I mean, we've we've literally just heard today from the CF Trust that in the last year alone, um, we've lost 70 patients to CF in the time that they could have had or can be. So that is why it is very crucial that we we speed up negotiations between Vertex, Nice, and NHS um, in order to get the the treatment because we we don't really have time to play with. Now you've been campaigning for this, and I believe you've been promised a meeting with the health secretary. And what are you hoping will happen after that meeting? Um, I hope that we we'll, he'll be able to see a real insight into what it's like having CF because one of the main struggles that we face is that it's an invisible illness. So um, I mean. I would assume that most people, if they saw me out in the street, would assume that I was in perfect health, um, when really it's it's really not the case. I've got a midline in my arm, I'm undergoing so much treatment, I'm in hospital every two days at the moment to ensure that my blood levels are all okay. So I hope that he will be able to understand the, the impact that it's having on my everyday health, um, my mental health, and just see the importance for it because obviously I I do work I have a little boy I have a husband I have a family and I want to be around for for years to come I, I don't want to be kind of just pushed to one side as a as a citizen of 
of his society as just not being important enough to pay the money. Kent Online reports. Two people have appeared in court and denied killing a man in Maidstone. Wesley Adjinka was stabbed near his home in Knight Rider Street in February. A 39-year-old from London and a 17-year-old boy have both pleaded not guilty to murder. They're due to go on trial in November. Meantime, a man's appeared in court via video link and denied murdering his wife, who went missing from her Kent home 20 years ago. Debbie Griggs was four and a half months pregnant when she disappeared from her home in Deal in 1999. 56-year-old Andrew Andrew Griggs, who now lives in Dorset, is due to go on trial in October and has been released on bail. Now, as Mental Health Awareness Week comes to an end, a student at the University of Kent has been speaking honestly about what it's like to live with psychosis. Figures have revealed a record number of Canterbury students seeking counselling. More than 1,000 asked for help last year, while over 1,100 disclosed mental health difficulties. Callum Kennedy is studying biochemistry and says it has an impact on his everyday life. I would say typically the one thing that I really struggle with would be the uh, concentration. So um, I say that yesterday when I was revising, it can be very hard to concentrate for extended periods of time, um, even maybe like 20 minutes. Um, I just find myself just having like these very sped up thoughts, almost as if like you kind of lose control of your own thinking, which mm-hmm. is uh, very distracting, very annoying. Um, so I just try and like you know mitigate that by studying in like small bursts. Um, as of like other people's understanding, um, I don't think anyone fully gets it, but uh, I think most people I speak to are willing to try to understand, which is all I really ask. Because um, I mean, it's such. A, I mean, I don't understand it, so I mean, how I would expect anyone else to understand it? You know, I don't think it'd be fair. So I mean, I guess. The only thing I really ask for is just the uh, the effort to be made to just try and like show some empathy, really. Um, that's kind of it, really. Have you come across stigma in relation to mental health kind of over the years? Uh, yeah, I would say not loads, if I'm to be perfectly honest. I think most people are quite understanding, I think, in this day and age. You know, I think I'm quite fortunate that uh, everyone who I've spoken to has been pretty understanding. Um, although if I was to critique anything... Uh, it would be maybe the uh, healthcare professionals, I guess, I've seen, um, especially the uh, the ones I've seen at the NHS, um, and some private people as well, actually. Um, but um, it, it just every time I go there, I get the sense that they kind of have this rough idea of what someone with psychosis should be like. And uh, they always make like a comment about how like, you know, like well-spoken I am or like how calm or how polite I am. And I think, you know, it sort of suggests that uh, maybe they think I'm almost like antithetical to like what they think someone with psychosis psychosis should be like. And I think that's kind of a shame really, because I mean, I, you know, it probably defines my character to, to a certain extent, but not entirely. And I think that's sort of, I think that's very stigmatizing that they think that, um, you know, they think that maybe perhaps I should be kind of coming in rambling and just sort of being all over the place. And to even then voice it, I think, is very problematic. I don't think that's very good at all, really. Can you tell me why it's... Um, I think there's a real feeling these days, acknowledgement of them, um, that is more important to... It's very important to try and better understand mental illness um, mm. and to break the stigma that kind of surrounds talking about it so much of the time. Um, 
can you just tell me um, if you think that's important and if so, why? Yes, I do. That's something I very much believe in. I, um, I, I guess just quickly I'll say I'm, I'm the uh, president of the uh, Mindfulness Society here at uh, the university. And uh, I think one of the first things I actually talked about was my own mental health and how mindfulness helped me cope with that. And the reason why I brought that up was because I was sort of willing to bet that there was at least one other person in that room who'd maybe had experience either directly or sort of, uh, you know, either directly themselves or, you know, maybe with like a family member. And uh, I thought that, you know, someone would appreciate it if they could see someone kind of just openly talking about their experience as if, you know, it's just like anything else, really. And funnily enough, someone came up to me at the end and said, you know, I really appreciate you talking about that because my mother suffers from something very similar. And, you know, it's always been something that's like been very close to me. But um, I always kind of struggle to talk about it just because she never knows how people are going to respond to it. So I think kind of having this dialogue sort of creates more of a safe environment for people to want to share. Um, because, I mean, I think... Uh, I think it's a shame, really, because I, I speak to so many people. I mean, like I said, I've been quite fortunate, but they, they speak. I've spoken to so many people who say, like, you know, I brought up one to my family or, you know, I, uh, I've i spoken to my friends about it and they just either don't get it, they don't want to get it, or even at times they're antagonistic, you know, and it's it's really sad because it's it's just the complete opposite of what someone needs in that moment, you know, like someone really needs support and for them to be shunned, I think, is a real shame. Kent Online News. A motorcyclist in his 40s has died after the bike he was riding hit a crash barrier on the A2. It happened on the London-bound carriageway near the slip road for the Darrenth Interchange, not far from Dartford, just before nine last night. A 54-year-old man's been arrested after a young child was allegedly assaulted in a supermarket car park in Canterbury. They were sat in the back of a car when it happened at the Sainsbury's on Kingsmead Road on Wednesday afternoon. It's understood a man and woman who were also there had been involved in a row. Kent Online showbiz. James Arthur's back with a new single, Falling Like the Stars. The former X Factor winner is one of just 10 artists around the world who've had a billion streams on Spotify, along with the likes of Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber, where he's been chatting to Gary on our sister station KMFM Breakfast about writing new music. I suppose we should start at the most polite place, which is to find out about the new song, Falling Like the Stars. This new record that I'm making, um, is, is, is all from the point of view of other people. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's not from necessarily from my point of view because the last album I did um, was quite autobiographical, a little bit self-indulgent, and and uh, of course with that came a lot of discussion about my own life and uh, and the things that I'd been through in my past and you know all that kind of stuff, and uh, that that was quite taxing for me. So I made a conscious effort in this in this album to make. You know, songs that are, you know, just taken from my imagination and inspired by other people and, and other people's stories. So, yeah. Yeah, Falling Like the Stars, it's almost like a Say You Won't Let Go part two if you're if you're familiar with that. The, the new album, more of a novel than an autobiography. That's a great way to put it, yeah. I've seen in other interviews, uh, talking about trying too hard maybe, uh, not wanting to be pigeonholed. How would you like people to describe you and your music? Um, you know, I think first and foremost, I, I'd like... I'd like to be known as an artist, and and I feel as though um, I, I kind of am in a way known for um, just invoking emotion, just making you feel something, and um, you know, making music that that you could, uh, you know, you you could listen to if you're going through something, you know, if you're going through some kind of struggle, you know. Um, I, I'd, I'd hope my music was was you know 
was comforting in some way and and like I try I try and make sure that my stories have relatable sorry my songs have relatable stories in them and finally today a paving stone in Maidstone has been dug up after the carving was spotted with a spelling mistake as part of a three million pound regeneration project slabs have been laid in Week Street and Gabriel's Hill giving some history of the town as we told you yesterday one word principal was spelled incorrectly on one of them it has now been removed that's the latest but for more news throughout the day you can of course head to kentonline.co.uk news you can trust this is the kent online podcast